Okay, I need to say got it. Have you got it? We've already started. I've got that. it. Yeah, you used to say okay. Now it's got. Now it's got. Got it. Hi, right, how are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Good, 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 good. So, where where are you at the moment? I am um, just outside Guildford in Surrey. Um, so, what, forty five minutes out of London? Not that I've been there for a while. Um, yeah, so in the countryside. Very nice. I, I know Guildford pretty well, actually. Um, I used to live in Surrey um, and, and Box Hill was always a favourite place to, to sort ah. of head down into the hills or, or head down across the North Downs way towards Guildford from there. Or, so. Yeah, I spent a lot of time at Box Hill. My son's into volleyball and he plays in Dorking. So while we're waiting for him to finish, we're often walking up and down Box Hill. Yeah, good, good, good exercise, good, good movement, which is exactly, exactly. <laughs> now you, I mean, I, I came across you, I think, on social media. Embarrassingly, I can't remember exactly where, but nonetheless, um, I was intrigued um, by the title of your your book, Move, um, and um, and so I was sort of tucking in, and I thought, ah, right, I know, I'm going to get in touch and see if you want to come and have a chat, and and here we are, um, a month <laughs> or two later. So why why move? Um. I sort of, it's a really kind of roundabout route I came to, to writing this book. So um, way, way back in the midst of time when I went to university, um, I decided to do a PE teaching degree. And I was not the kid at school that was really into sport by any stretch. I wasn't on any of the teams or, you know, and I think if you'd have said to my PE teachers, that I was doing that they'd have been like Caroline Williams are you are you sure the little one no 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 way you know but my rationale at the time was I don't like sitting still I couldn't think of anything worse than working in an office all day and just you know tapping away um so I wanted something where I could be outside moving around um and also I wanted a little bit of kind of something that would tax the mind as well so I thought well that's good teaching and I had biology as my second subject so it kind of all made sense in a way um so so I did that and then after the first year of my degree I thought actually this isn't really for me because everybody else that was there was really into sport um as opposed to sort of other ways of being active which is more my thing and I got really interested in the biology and I wasn't getting enough of a fix of exciting new science from the teaching side that I wanted. So I swapped over and did a biology degree. Um, and then from there, I sort of realised at the point where everyone's hating the fact they have to write really long essays all the time. I realised that I was the weird one who really liked researching stuff and finding out and delving into a subject and then writing about it. And I could do it kind of quite well. And so I thought, I know I'll I'll make it happen. I'll become a science writer and sort of eventually made that happen. Um, and after a long time of kind of being really interested in um, neuroscience, I guess, biology in general, but I got, I kind of went down a road of being really interested in neuroscience and the mind and why people think the way they do. And are there any ways that we can get the best out of our brains and our minds? Um, and so I wrote a lot about neuroscience and can you change your brain because my first book override was about trying all that stuff out on myself but then it sort of became 
obvious to me that anything that made my mind work better, whether that was focusing better, whether it was um, being more creative, um, calming me down, all had to do with moving in some way. And I thought, well, maybe there's something in this that's beyond what we know about the, you know, exercise makes you feel happy side of things. And so I sort of started looking into the science of it. And, and that's how move came about and so I've ended up coming full circle back to sort of physical activity um, by a really long circuitous route but it it kind of feels like it was meant to be now at the end of it. Yeah yeah I I mean I love sort of the 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 story sort of now and and looking back but but you kind of glossed over the bit oh I I kind of made myself a science writer I kind of get I mean that's that's not just something that, that happens what how did you do that? Um, well, for a while, so I tried, so when after I left my biology degree, I, I got, you know, I had to get a job to pay the rent. Um, and I got a fairly miserable job, um, working as a stock control person in the head office of Argos. And and it was, it was fairly boring. Um, um, and I tried to get into writing in my spare time. So I was I would pitch stuff to um, I'd look at the research and I pitched stories to BBC Wildlife was a magazine I really wanted to get in at the time. And I had one very small clip, which was about um, a research paper that showed that bees hiss when mice go into their nests. And if you puff carbon dioxide into their nests, which they think is the breath of a mouse they will hiss so so I had this 60 word or something article and then nothing and I I really struggled for a while I was like what am I going to do and so there was a point I got a different job from Argos and I was working in marketing it was still kind of okay I could do a bit more writing in it and then I saw an advert for a master's in science communication at Imperial College and I thought okay well I'll apply for that if I don't get on that course I'll do my marketing qualifications and I'll get you know, a proper job in marketing. Um, and if I do get on it, fabulous, I'll see where it takes me. So when I did get on the course and from there, it was really um, through that course that I made contacts at New Scientist magazine. Um, one of my now colleagues, uh, previous boss was teaching on the course. So I got that contact and I did a placement at the BBC. So I got that contact. So it was really from there, building it up very, very slowly and, um, and eventually getting, getting a job and then leaving the job to go freelance again. So yeah, it was kind of a very long, long route. Yeah. So you you know you chose a special, well, a very niche course, but exactly yeah. what you what you wanted to do. Yeah, it was weird when I found it because I was I was flicking through New Scientist magazine, weirdly enough, um, and ended up working for them years later. And I saw in the back in the advert section. Um, masters in science communication and so I just sort of looked up on their website what that was all about and it was a course for people who had either done a PhD or a degree in science but didn't want to necessarily go into science they wanted to you know do anyway it had modules from museums so a lot of the people are now quite high up in the science museum I did the course with TV radio and print journalism and websites which was quite an, an early stage thing at the time um this was 2000 and I did writing and radio and so that's where I got my work experience off the course yeah and um yeah and I, I still see a lot see a lot of the people that were on that course now and they're all kind of still most of them are still within science communication so it's kind of a little subgroup half of them are married to each other including yeah. me I'm my husband on the course <laughs> <laughs> so that's great I mean it's, it sounds like it's a fairly small world 
It is actually, yeah, yeah. We are all mostly uh, married to each other, and um, yeah, and actually, it, it's kind of nice because there's been several. You know, I did mine in two thousand, two thousand and one, and so since then, there's been loads of people come through, and you always know um, that they've come through the same sort of system and that they know what they're doing, and yeah. Yeah. But that's not the only way, you know, a very good, very good friend of mine is now, you know, an editor who has been working the same amount of time with me. And she went in at the sort of the editorial assistant route, which was kind of like, you know, just helping out in the magazine. And she worked her way up to be writer, editor and, and sort of went that. So she went a completely different route to me and got into a similar position. So, yeah, there are many ways to get there, but most of them involve working for not much money for free <laughs> for a while yeah I mean that that seems to be the way in kind of the if I use the word media in its broadest sense um and they seem to be the main two routes don't they either you go and do a particular degree in that subject and and or, or you you start pushing the tea trolley and and gradually deliver mail and then write something and then and so on yeah and so and even when you've got the, the degree, sometimes, you know, I know a lot of people who went on to work in television who, even though they had a, a degree or sometimes a, a PhD and science communication masters would then have to go in as a runner and get experience as a runner and then a researcher and then eventually a producer, uh, then an assistant producer. You know, it's still a really long way up because so many people want to do it. So, um, yeah, it's not a money spinner by any stretch <laughs> yeah, yeah but but I think it seems that you can gain so much from that route as well by by just seeing everything through that lens so if you do you know work your way up then you can appreciate what other people are doing and their part in in that whole process yeah and it's really good fun as well to do that stuff you know when I was doing the course we would go off and be runners for um so the one that a lot of people did I didn't actually do it was the um the Christmas lectures the um at the RI um, so that was one that everyone went off and did that and there were um, science horizons and stuff that people would go and help out on and it's really fun because you get to be behind the scenes of stuff and um, see how things work so yeah it's not all bad for working yeah. for free. Yeah. <laughs> if I mean if someone um, was aspiring to to get into science writing what, what would you advise them now you know having had all this experience? It, it comes down to to work experience, I think. So while I did, you know, I did get my degree um, or my master's, that was useful. But I think where you really learn how to do it and you you meet the people is through doing sort of internships. And um, so to, to get those in the first place, you have to show that you're keen. So whether that's writing a blog, I mean, back in the days when I was applying, I wrote leaflets for the local wildlife trust and things like that, just to show, look, this is me showing I'm interested in communicating about science and nature um and then you've got something to demonstrate and say well this is this is my interest this is my passion and then hopefully things can build from there but yeah it does uh, take take a bit of time um and someone to take you under your wing as well that's really important you know you need someone who's willing to take the time to explain to you how to do it and you know there are tips like every job you know there's tips and tricks and little shortcuts that that we all use so um, yeah, on the job experience is the best thing, I think. Yeah. So you, you've really, I mean, this is beyond a job, isn't it? You, you've got to have a, you've got to have a passion. There needs to be some kind of purpose here to, yeah. to drive you to do those things beyond the hours. Yes. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, for me, it's like, I really like finding out 
interesting things and speaking to really interesting people like scientists love chatting about their work um, and so you get to speak to some of the world's experts on their given subject and ask them whatever you like and, and it can be you know there's no such thing as a stupid question when it comes to being a journalist asking a scientist something um, and and then once you've got all this information I love the challenge of then communicating that in a way that's kind of readable and understandable to anybody so it's sort of taking something that might be you know so each scientist does their tiny little bit of the, of the picture and then taking all those little bits and putting them together and making a, a story out of them so I just really love doing it I mean there's always points during the process when I absolutely hate doing it <laughs> there's this classic graph that you often see on social media the creative um graph when it's sort of like the valley of despair and the you know the mountain of hope or whatever and there's definitely there's always a valley of despair I've never managed to hop over that um but yeah when it's when it's all done it's really satisfying and I, I love it so yeah. yeah so I mean those those bits you know those bits the valley of despair is I've not heard that I like that um how, how do you keep going um a deadline helps <laughs> uh, or just if it won't leave you alone, really. I mean, the thing with with the book, um, researching a book is like you know, like a feature on steroids. It just it's just so massive. Um, you know, there are many points at which you want to give up and say, "Oh, it's not worth it." It's just, but I don't know what keeps you going on. I just really wanted to. As soon as I knew that there was something in it, I just couldn't leave it alone. So, and it, and it took me a long time to to actually get past the. The valley of despair for writing the proposal was quite deep. It took me about um, from from thinking about the idea to actually publishing the book took about four years, and there was a good year when I was like, "Oh, should I? Shouldn't I? Oh, I don't know. Is there enough here for a book?" Um, and I dithered around for absolutely ages. Other people are much better at this, and they just nail books and you know chuck out one a year. Um, I'm not like that, but I do feel like if you've been through that. And you've kept on going then it's then what comes out you know hand on heart that you, you can be proud of and you know you've done your best with it because you've doubted yourself enough by then yeah so um, you've got a positive history of getting through the inevitable tough time so you know you yeah. can do it again yeah yeah exactly and there's always a quote i don't even know who the quote's from like um it's something like um people never know how close they were to success when they quit or something like that and I always think of that when I'm about to go forget it I'll just write features I can't be doing with this book malarkey it's too hard you know you think well what if it's really good and um it's just about kept me going I've probably been a nightmare to my family in the process but um got there in the end <laughs> so what's your what's your writing habit for I mean for the I know you do other things other than write the book but in terms of this this book move what, what was your habit? Um, what, in terms of routine? Do you mean? like If, if you have one, yeah. I don't really. <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> um, so the writing bit for me is, is kind of almost the easy bit at the end. Um, because by then I've done loads of reading, loads of interviews with people and got notes from all those interviews and transcripts. I've got a vague idea of where I want to go with it. And I, but then I sort of spend a lot of time making spider diagrams of, okay, so this is the, the chapter. I do this for features as well, or even news stories. This is the story. This is what I'm going to include. So it's all like idea spaghetti. 
Um, that's another stage of the, the creative <laughs> the creative process, idea spaghetti. And then it sort of gets refined to kind of, okay, I'm going to start here, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and try and make it stitch together as a story. And by the time I've got to the stage of, of writing, if I've been clever and resisted the temptation to start too early, then it should flow fairly easy because I know what I'm going to say and I know where I'm going. And I know which points lead to which other points. Um, yeah, it's not always as neat as that, but that's my general idea. Lots of, yeah, lots of reading, feeling overwhelmed with far too much stuff and then trying to boil it down to a, something that makes sense. Yeah. So how, how do you organise your information? Because, you know, reading through the different chapters and you've got different themes and we'll, we'll go into that in a sec. But, you know, each each chapter would have had a mountain of information, articles, interviews, you know, other resources. How do you sort of compartmentalise it and, and literally file it? Um, in a series, well, there, <laughs> above the dog bed is a series of files. Yeah, mountains of paper. Um, no, I don't print out everything. I used to religiously print everything out and have it, you know, all in a folder. Um, some of it's sort of in my head, some of it's in files. I wouldn't say it's the most organised system in the world. Um, but in terms of the book, it sort of lent itself to looking at different types of movements. And there was overlap between, you know, things that are true about um, strength, for example, are also true about stretching and you know there's a lot of overlap but it kind of made sense to think about the way you might want to move and which ones would be most um feasible for people to use in their action in their everyday lives um so yeah I, I i think i started off with with one file and i had sections for you know breathing walking um core was a surprise one that kind of came out of other research um stretching was was massive dance was an absolute beast dance has got its own file just jam-packed because there's so much stuff to do with dance psychology and neuroscience and things like that um and so then once i had those sections i sort of worked through them one by one there was no other way of doing it really um and then after afterwards if there were things that went together then i would sort of refer back and forward and that sort of thing in the edits mm. and and as you were writing were there, were there particular people or particular groups that you were thinking right this this book is for for them um i kind of felt like it was something so i knew people that were interested in movement and exercise and fitness and yoga and mind body stuff would be interested um i was i'm, I'm hoping as well as those people who have been really great and supportive and, and sort of really interested i'm hoping that that anyone would be interested in it because it's not necessarily just about exercise. Movement is so much more than exercise. Um, and I think we've got such sedentary lives um, and the idea that that is contributing to, you know, cognitive, emotional, you know, problems, societal problems. I kind of feel like it's really important. I want everyone to read it. Mm. Um, that hasn't happened yet, but um yeah, I kind of, I, I, that's who I really want. The people who aren't necessarily exercise fanatics, I think are the people who who would really benefit from it most. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, everyone has their own ideas about exercise don't they? And, and often based on early experiences. So, you know, you talked about what it was like for you at school. Um, but a lot of people have been put off 
you know, or put off at the early stages because maybe they, you know, it was difficult for them for different reasons. So they were picked last or the, they weren't treated well and, and it just became a, a nightmare P and games lessons were just the worst. When you had to, when you forgot your kit and you had to do it in your pants and vest. Yeah. I, mean, I was telling my son about that the other day. He didn't believe me, but I was like, seriously, you did have to do yeah. PE in your pants and vest. <laughs> But about you, even even still today, things happen that that are you know really quite cruel um, for kids in in those yeah. those environments. Um, so encouraging movement in in schools, you know, this is a this is an easy way of you know teachers, for example, you yeah. know, taking the time to to look at this. And I'm not talking about PE teachers, just well, just PE, all all, all teachers all are teachers. bringing movement into the classroom. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think things are starting to change in school. So, you know, there is there's the Daily Mile, which is a, you know, a, a, a movement to get kids up, down tools, drop your pencil, go for a run around the playground for, for 15 minutes and, you know, or walk or, you know, but basically getting them up and moving. And that's been really successful. And they've done studies on it that suggest that focus improves, grades improve, you know, well-being improves. Um, so I think these ideas are starting to come through, but it's still the case, um, at least in the state system, that you can go through school and come out the other end and not feel like movement or physical activity is for you because your experience has been, you know, maybe an hour a week in which 15 minutes is getting changed and you might have done a few roly polies, you know, or you know, you're not one of the cool kids that plays football at lunchtime, so you're not sporty. Um, you know, so it's very possible to go through and come out the other side and, and not get the idea that moving your body can make you feel really good. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be about sport. It doesn't have to be about going to the gym. Just, you know, dancing, circus. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff that you can do, even if it's just riding your bike to the shop um, that, that can sort of just make you feel great. So I think schools can really... Do, I'm not sure how they fit it in to the curriculum that's already so squeezed, but I think it's really important that we get kids moving um, from an early age. I think Joe Wicks is doing a good job. Perhaps I'll leave it to Joe Wicks. He seems to have a, he seems to have well, it covered. Well, well, I mean, uh, you know, one one guy can can, can you know one person can certainly make a, a difference, and we've seen lots of examples of that. But but you know, in a sense, we all have a we all have a responsibility here um and you've made a massive contribution by getting that you know very readable book out there for for people to to take this message but but why why do you think as a society and this is a really broad question because we're talking about politics as well and policy why, why do we struggle so much to to get something like movement on the agenda when it's so blindingly obvious of its benefits and, and ease and low cost. I mm. mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, one, I guess it, it's comfy to sit around. <laughs> and so that's our natural state is to kind of rest. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, it's the thing because we don't have time when we get grown up and, um, you know, especially for... For girls, they drop out of sport when they sort of get to puberty. There's, there's, there's a lot of barriers against keeping, keeping movement going through your adult life um, and even starting it in the first place as children. I mean, I don't know. It, it really is a no-brainer. And that's sort of what I wanted to do with the book was to kind of 
say, okay, well, we, we do know that running around gives you endorphin hits. And we also know from neuroscience that exercise, physical activity improves the brain's physical state. It makes more connections. It improves um, blood flow, you know, all these great things happen. So we know this, but I wanted to take it further than that and say, okay, it's not about necessarily doing it to boost your brain. It's not about doing it to lose weight or to look good. It's from, it's an inside job. It's kind of doing it because it makes you feel great because it improves your life. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, it feels like once people know that, it's a case of then finding out what the thing is that you want to do. Yeah. So, you know, around here where I live in Surrey, I'm sure, you know, like a lot of people go out road biking, yeah. um, lots of lycra clad people going around the Surrey Hills. And to me, that's just like, that's a, what, that's the last thing I want to do, go and cycle <laughs> along with a load of terrifying motorists trying to knock me off. And, you know, I would find that really boring. Other st- other people would find yoga, walking, dancing really boring but it doesn't matter it's just finding the thing that that kind of works for you and then building that into your life as much as possible I think is is the key thing there's not one easy hit that's the trouble there's not there's nothing you can just sort of put on a t-shirt and get people to get people to buy into yeah a little bit of exploration is necessary and and perhaps keeping it simple as well in that that you know it could just start with with some regular movement like getting up in class halfway through each lesson yeah. reaching up to the sky and taking a breath and then sitting down again yeah uh, um you know it doesn't yeah exactly imagination no and like for so one of the teachers i spoke to for the book um andy mill and he he does a lot of um walking and talking meetings so he he works with older children like secondary level but he'll say okay so today we're discussing x i want you to go out in pairs and walk around the campus i want you to come back in 15 minutes and you're going to tell the class what you found and he finds that that really works well Mm. that you know when you're walking and thinking you know that sort of helps bring bring creativity it kind of keeps focus far better than saying okay get yourselves into different corners of the room so there's ways of doing it and I saw a fabulous video of of young kids learning their angles in maths and the teacher was just going uh 90 90 and they'd all hop around 90 degrees and 360 360 180 you know and he kept shouting them he did it into a little song and it was brilliant you can bet your life those kids will never forget their angles after having done that and um, it's just things like that, building it in. And also for, and for people who are maybe more sedentary at home, um, for older people maybe, there's research that shows that just getting up and walking around for five minutes, you know, going downstairs and up again, make a cup of tea, come back, that it's that sort of low level movement that can make a real difference. Um, so it doesn't have to be complicated. It, it doesn't have to be an extra hobby or an extra something to fit into your day, just making time for more movement is what's important. So there are these groups of people around the world, they're called uh, blue zones, these areas of the world where more people live to 100 than anywhere else. And so scientists have looked a lot at their lifestyles and there's a, you know there's, there's various things, they have particularly healthy diets, they have very great good social lives and communities. But one of the things about it is they don't exercise, but they have movement just sort of embedded in their life. So they don't sit around when, you know, when they, um, so for example, there's Okinawa in Japan is one of these places and they tend to have low tables. So even the, the older ladies 
when they're cooking or when they're you know serving dinner to their family whatever they're jumping up and down from the floor all the time and so this is just kind of getting movement into your life without really thinking about it without really noticing and um so that's really the key it's kind of weaving it in more yeah yeah weaving it in and and it strikes me from you know from, from what you say there that the environment plays such a big role in it as well for the in other words the opportunities you have they have low tables which means squatting and bending just as a matter of course whereas yeah we we don't um which kind of makes the argument that those those small chairs in primary school classrooms <laughs> great for the teachers great for the teachers absolutely yeah well I spent have spent since writing the book I spent a lot more time sitting on the floor and I'll put my laptop on the chair and you know tap around I also because I'm very short I'm four foot eleven can you see I don't know I'm sitting um cross-legged on my chair um <laughs> just because it's more comfortable because my feet don't touch the floor but fidgeting moving around um changing position um spending more time on the floor in general is is is, is a good idea because then you do have to get up at some point um so yeah but sometimes our our environments do work against us the sofa is a comfy place to be there is a movement of people on instagram if you want to look up the hashtag furniture free there are people who have ditched furniture to the point of sleeping on the floor no pillows um no you know cushions to sit on rather than a sofa um you know low you know soaring legs off a dining room table so they've got this low table i mean yeah i haven't gone that far in in my house but um but yeah it's a thing um, trying to make your make movement into your into your life um yeah some people are trying it yeah yeah that'd be interesting to to do for a year yeah I'm not sure I'm really done with the sort of it's, it's a bit of a student flat vibe going on and you know I do like to I, I think balance comes into it you know if you if you spend a lot of time moving you know I did took the dog for a big long walk this morning I've largely sat and and edited but have gone downstairs and upstairs and sat in the garden and come back and you know floor chair table whatever then I'm not going to feel guilty about slobbing on the sofa later because I think on balance I've had a lot of movement in my day I'll probably dance around the kitchen when I'm washing up it's all good so I don't think we have to go to extremes and change our lives I think it's just being a bit more aware um, of building stuff into your life a bit more yeah yeah um social media makes people do stuff doesn't it <laughs> yes to stand out um, yeah yeah i think so yeah and there are yes I've, I've kind of i've had to edit down my my instagram feed because i've got too many extraordinary movers on there that just make me feel like you know why can't i do that flip upside down and a, you know pull myself up on a children's climbing frame and backflip off it but um yeah it's inspirational but I think yeah you have to keep a, a bit of a level head about these things <laughs> yeah I mean that's a good point isn't it so on 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 Instagram you, you can access endless pictures and and lots of videos of, of people doing different exercises and and often suggesting they're good exercises for back pain or to increase your flexibility yeah. or whatever whatever it happens to be and and whilst that can be useful of course it's um it's a bit like dr google in a sense yeah people prescribing themselves and okay there's probably a large proportion that that's that's okay um but there are also risks aren't there mm, yeah i mean I, I definitely would want to um to go to somebody who knows what they were doing before I mean, especially with backs you don't want to muck around with with backs 
So, um, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Sort of buyer beware situation. Yeah. But also the point you made there about, and this is classic with social media, isn't it? Feeling that you're somehow inadequate because you can't do that that thing that that person's probably spent 20 years perfecting and then you yeah. think well I should be able to do that tomorrow yeah. I've practiced once yeah and that that kind of heart sink feeling oh, no, I'm, not, I'm not good enough I will never be that that flexible because I'm 46 and, and those that ship has sailed I don't know I try and on mine I try and keep it a little bit more real that you know yes here, here is here is me going out on a bike ride but I'm doing it with my also middle-aged mates and we stopped at the pub. So, you know, this is a sort of level of, of you know, I'm not an elite at anything uh, movement-wise, but it's there in my day in many forms. So, and then that's kind of what I think, um, you know, and since I've, since I've written the book, you know, I, now I have the good reasons to know why going for a, a long walk is, is great for clearing the head, why core, core um, stability is and posture is important for resilience um all kinds of different things you know you once you have the why it gives you the reason and the excuse to do it so you know I've worked at home for the best part of 20 years and I don't have a boss looking over my shoulder but it's taken me years to think no I will be more productive if I go out for a walk now rather than sitting here for another half an hour to an hour you know just to get your head around the idea that that counts as work and it will help takes a bit of a shift and so I think for me anyway having the evidence that shows yep this will work and there's study to show that it does work sort of makes me actually get out and and do it yeah yeah there's there's um, a large element of self-caring here as well isn't there of um of of looking after yourself and a lot of people struggle with that I've got to look after myself to look after others they 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 put everyone else first um and and their 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 needs are put at the bottom of the pile so they you know they lack movement lack exercise perhaps don't even eat very well because they're so busy doing other stuff um how how would you encourage those people to move more well i think i mean it's it's sort of a win-win because you're sort of you're, you're doing it for yourself um but what comes out of that then is more helpful for, for everyone around you as well. You know, if you're more, if you're better at looking after your stress, if you're feeling more focused and calm and then that's good for everyone. But I mean, it is hard to, to kind of take that time and several times, including, you know, in the last few weeks, I've got to the point where I've just almost slapped myself and said, Caroline, you literally wrote the book that tells you how to get out of this fog you know, get out and do it. And, and, you know, when I go out for bike ride with some friends, feel much better. I'm like, well, hello. <laughs> but and it is hard. It is hard to keep it going because it, is, it does take time and it is tiring, um, but it's absolutely worth it. And uh, for me anyway, it's easier to build in something like yoga or a walk or a swim or something and to prioritize that than it is to say, okay, I'm going to get up half an hour early and meditate because to me, that's not doing anything. <laughs> I know it works for a lot of people, but for me that it doesn't do it. Um, so to be moving and getting into a different frame of mind works a lot better for me. So it, it kind of feels less self-indulgent somehow. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you feel a pressure then because because you've written this book that, that you should be leading the way? Um, I'm fairly active most of the time 
and I'm quite a fidget. So I kind of feel like I've just validated my own way of life <laughs> massively. But um, yeah, I, I, I do feel like I should, um, I don't know. I don't know who's watching to, to, <laughs> to see. I did feel a little bit of pressure at the summer when I was this, when, when COVID regulations were relaxed, I did a couple of talks at festivals and things like that. And I thought, oh, I better, I better up my game a little bit. I'm turning up, telling everyone to get fit and, you know, to move more. I can't just turn up looking like I've been sitting on the sofa for two years. Um, so I felt, felt a little bit of pressure, but um, I, I don't know. It's not really about that. It's about the feeling good thing. So I, and, and I've had some lovely messages from people who have said, thank you so much. You know, I've read what you said and, it, and it's really made an impact on me. So I'm hoping that at least some people have felt the internal change and that I, th- I hope we can get away from the, the idea that we have to look a certain way and that you lift weights. I, I wrote a, a piece for the, oh, I'm not going to say which paper it was because I can't remember which one it was out of the two. <laughs> big tea. Anyway, there was a, there was a, <laughs> there was a piece in, in one of the broadsheets that I'd written about the importance of strength. And, and it was all about, um, improving your sense of what your body can do in the world and how empowering that is for people and how it helps for um, anxiety and depression. But they also wanted me to talk about weight loss. And the headline was about entirely about lifting weights in midlife is great for weight loss. And I was really annoyed because um, I didn't have a say in that at all. I didn't write it. I didn't approve it or anything. But I was like, this is the wrong message. This is the message that's been going out there. It's all about weight loss and the way you look. It's not. It's, It's about making yourself feel more capable and in control of your life and, and all the benefits that then flow from there. Um, so, so yeah, I, I don't feel too much pressure to be a, a perfect specimen, which is just as well, really. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and absolutely, you know, rightly so, because um, I've listening to some other people who, who have written about their, their field in peak performance and other areas of life. And um and you know it's it's good to be vulnerable and admit that we don't do it perfectly. We we suggest these things and we try really hard because it's on the agenda, but we don't always get it right. And that's just being a human. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's sort of there's um, one researcher I spoke to a while ago said that you know he was doing attention research and he was like, it's not like we have all the answers. You know, you know, we're doing me search. We we're, we're looking for the answers because we need them too. And I kind of feel like that's that's part of it you know it wouldn't people sometimes want one weird trick and they want you to be an expert and you to have, you know if you only do this you can be like me um and no that's not the way life works really but we're all trying to model through and work it out for ourselves um and the way I model through is by look sort of getting in touch with scientists who know better than me and, and trying to put that into use and then share it with other people so yeah I definitely don't have all the answers but um but yeah, we've got some pointers now, at least. Mm, yeah, yeah, for sure. Who who are the most interesting people that you that you met on this this journey of writing the book? Which I will quickly add, it doesn't mean the people you don't mention were not interesting. <laughs> <laughs> they were all hugely interesting. Well, um, my absolute favourite, and I always I always mentioned him. He's lovely. He's very incredibly humble. Um, is a guy called Terry Kvaznik. Uh, he's in the um, fighting fit chapter about strength and he um he's a martial artist acrobat dancer so I first came across him um in 2002 I think it was he was a dancer in a Kylie Minogue show that I went to see and you know being a massive Kylie fan um 
he completely distracted me from the whole thing. So he was doing these flips around the stage. He was walking downstairs on his hands. He sort of did this thing where he started from a crouch position and then he leapt from there into a backflip and then went back to the crouch. And he did it like four times in a row. And I was just saying to my friend, how is that possible? That guy's amazing. Anyway, so I, you know, I thought about him a lot over the years. And when I came to write this, the, the chapter about what it feels like to have mastery of your body and to be able to just know that you can flip your way um, out of any situation. That must feel amazing. And so I sort of tracked him down and it turns out, so he, he was grow, grew up in Manchester, but he now lives in California and he was just amazing. It turns out he, he's not a stage performer anymore. Um, he works with children and he teaches them how to sort of harness sort of, inner strength almost through mastery of their body. So he teaches them to tune in to their bodies, to their muscles, how it feels. And then he'll, you know, he'll get them to, to focus on how their legs feel. And then he'll teach them how to do a cartwheel and think about, you know, be aware of how their legs feel when they go over their head. And then, you know, he says, when you put your mind into your body, then you can make it do amazing things. And he works them up to these amazing flips that he does. And he says, you know, when kids get that, mind-body connection it's just transformative and you know they, they go on leaps and bounds and he's he's just an amazing person so he he had this great story that's in the book about how he was going along on his moped one day um and he came to a crossroads and a car pulled out in front of him and he was going at sorry, 30 miles an hour or something and he, he should have hit the side of this car and it would not have ended well for him but he said his body just took over and he flipped he sort of leapt up off the motorbike dove sort of over the car, did a roly-poly on the floor and then popped up on his feet and then sort of went, oh, oh my God, what just happened? And then sits and then sat down. So the, his body being able to get himself out of danger um, sort of literally saved his life. And so he tried to, tries to take that knowledge and pass it on to kids now. And he's the most humble, lovely person. He's done, he does things with older people as well. He's done break dancing classes with old, old ladies. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> He's one of those people who who probably could do amazing, amazing things, but is is very humble and so he doesn't think he's doing anything amazing, but but he is. So Terry is my number one favorite. Um, favorite. I you can see how the, the that kind of um, practice, that kind of training for for kids, so they have this kind of deeper belief in themselves. You know how how that would change the way they go about experiencing the world and the the decisions that they would they would make yes. almost, almost embracing fear or, or not always seeing fear as just something you, I've got to protect myself but actually seeing it as just another experience that we can use to to learn and yeah and I think yeah sort of pushing through those fears or, or kind of managing those fears as well so he told me if um he had some kids who were trying to do a flip and were getting really, really frustrated. They couldn't do this flip and they were scared and they didn't want to throw themselves at it. And then he sort of taught them sort of martial arts techniques of sort of, you know, centering themselves and kind of tuning into their body. And he said, you know, once they've learned that, once, once they're freaking out and they've learned to calm themselves and go and do it, you know, that's a kind of transferable skill for all kinds of situations in life. And, you know, and that's, that's one way of doing it. I also went to the, um, the Dale Youth, boxing club in in London so they that used to be in the Grenfell Tower and it was obviously lost in the fire and it's been rebuilt um but they take kids from you know quite a 
deprived area of London and sort of for a pound a go, they train them in boxing. And, you know, they're doing very similar things and saying, you know, if we can get kids to the point where they can go into an interview and feel like they're holding their own and be confident that they've got something to offer and that they can handle themselves, not necessarily in a fighting way, but, you know, they feel confident in themselves, then, you know, that's, that's job done. So I think there's lots of ways you can you can use sort of movement to make you feel better in your body and, and more capable in life. And so that's one of the things that strength can really do that, you know, strength training has been shown time and again to sort of decrease anxiety, um, depression, to increase, uh, improve self-esteem and the feeling that you can handle life. So, and that's a really easy thing to do. You know, you don't even need equipment. You can do bodyweight exercise. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, your, your book certainly points towards um, and, and kind of integrates ideas of embodied cognition. So, you know, this this wholeness. Yeah. And that that is a great example, isn't it? If you're doing strength work, you as a person feel strong. It's not just about, oh, I can lift these weights or lift. Yeah. Someone. I, I feel strong. Yeah. And the, the whole move that um, pe- the movement as well is, is really interesting. So there's a, a sort of a, a fitness uh, regime well regime that's not the right word but a fitness system where you get fit to do stuff so that it's based on the idea of being strong to be useful so you don't learn pull-ups so that you can just do pull-ups you do pull-ups so that you can climb on top of something um, you um, learn how to swing from your arms you learn how to carry things um, you learn how to, to to crawl so that you could you know if you had to you could crawl out, out of a tight spot and it's all about sort of working your body for a purpose so that you know implicitly that you've got this on board Um, and there's other stuff going on so the other really wonderful person I met was completely different from these these kind of um fitness um people was um Eric Kandel who's a Nobel Prize winning neuroscientist so he was one of the people that nailed down how memories are stored in the brain I mean he's, he's like when we, when we met he was about to turn 90 um he's just incredible and he walks to work a couple of miles every day he's just really lovely guy um and he's doing research into a hormone that's released from the bone called osteocalcin which is released into the blood when we put weight on our bones and actually goes travel to the brain um talks to receptors in the brain and not only improves memory, but also may have sort of anti-anxiety effects. So there's really interesting work going on in that area. So a lot of it's kind of still at the level of mice, but there's been a few human studies that sound sound really interesting. Um, And there's also the the terrifying statistic that something like 13% of Alzheimer's diagnoses can be traced to a sedentary lifestyle. So there's, there's real sort of measurable effects of not um not having an active life so i mean that is kind of important that really scared me quite a lot when i read that yeah yeah and it's going to be interesting to kind of know uh, at what point does that sort of process start as in uh, uh, how, how long would i be sedentary before that risk would really start to to take you know is it is it in childhood if you're not acting up in childhood that then becomes a risk factor for something like alzheimer's yeah, I don't, I mean, obviously that those kind of studies would just take forever to do. I don't think they've been done, but I think um, at middle age seems to be quite an important time where 
you know what you don't lose what you what you don't use gets more difficult to replace and that's true of the kind of the brain it's true of the muscles and the bones um i think we're fairly resilient you know in in youth i think the, the danger of sedentary kids is that they they get in the habit of a sedentary lifestyle and then they never get out of it because you know nothing's once you've left school the the, the opportunities for hobbies and sports and stuff just diminish so i think it's getting the habit built up early is, is important but yeah middle age is definitely a case where use it or lose it kicks in uh, in a big way so um, i think we need to get yeah. which is also difficult because this is the age when you've got you know maybe aging parents and young children and there's a lot going on working yeah um, the sandwich time isn't it yeah exactly the meat in the sandwich yeah but it's a but it's really important you know you talked about self-care this is this is putting stuff in the bank for old age so that you're then not a burden on the next generation and yeah. you know you can think of it that way if you want you know if you really can't face looking after yourself for your own sake you know it it does it makes hopefully would make the old age bit less horrific yeah although we, we just don't seem very good at doing things now for something that might benefit us in 20 years or, or yeah perhaps even 20 minutes um yeah. you know the the important stuff just takes that consistent day in day out practice like cleaning teeth but we yeah there's not many other things that we're necessarily good at doing we, we like the quick fix yeah yeah we, we, we're our own worst enemy in that really um and that's a, the same thing with diet and, and everything you know you, all these things that you do for your health they're a slow burn thing you know you can't do it for a week and then expect miracles it's got to be it's got to be a lifestyle yeah. so that's why it's so important to find something that you love doing um it doesn't matter what it is but if it gets you moving and it makes you feel good then do that and forget the you know the latest craze that says you must do hit or zumba or you know whatever the latest i don't even know what the latest was i guess wild swimming is the latest craze at the moment that's which my husband's really into he absolutely loves it goes several times a week not my bag so i don't so, so i don't do it i um, do other stuff but it doesn't matter it, it's finally the thing that makes you feel good but he'll he'll like others will, will have that that self-motivation that that interest to that curiosity to explore and, and find that oh yeah I love that now yeah but you've kind of got to have that in you to even get to that point and and I guess a lot of that drive again it goes back to to the early years where you're forming your constructs and beliefs yeah. about your parents take you to the beach and chuck you in and say get on with it yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it sort of has to happen early on I know I've, I've sort of toyed with the idea of of setting up some kind of consultancy slash um personal training thing where you people can come and try loads of different things and you know things that they wouldn't try on their own whether it's paddleboarding or kayaking or um, windsurfing or you know just whatever it happens to be yeah. um and they can pick things and try it out because there, there's something for everybody but yeah you're right unless you've been exposed to it how do you know it was there how do you know it's it's the thing for you maybe it's ultimate frisbee you know yeah how do you big play park like a massive um um, um i can't even think of the word like disneyland that kind of thing right? yes <laughs> where, where it's just loads of different stuff that you try indoors outdoors water slopes climb you know all these things. yeah i did um talk at a festival that, that was trying to do that like a, a camp uh, like american style camp 
for adults to go and they had raft building and paddle boarding and uh, all kinds of activities, archery and stuff like that, which is a really nice idea. I thought that you can just go there and just try stuff yeah. and see what you like. So, yeah, it's kind of exposing people to things like, yeah, I've yet to find a way of, of making it happen in the real world. But that's that would be my sort of my dream. That's your yeah, that's your mission. That's well, we'll keep it. We'll keep an eye on that and see what you. Yeah, I'll see what I can do. Um, I, I, I just wanted to go back to um, to Eric Kandel. He's, he's a bit of a legend, of course. Well, not a bit. He is yeah. a legend in the world of neuroscience and, and the book that he's edited many versions of and his sea slugs um did, did you see did you see them no I went no I went to his very shiny new um building in in New York um and he he made me a nice cup of tea and we sat down and we had a chat and he was there with Dickie Bow on um he was very, very charming just a lovely lovely man yeah. and um and sharp as a tack it was he was, was very incredible yeah does it does he have a good memory yeah he seems to but I mean I think now because he um you know because obviously he's in his 90s now he is more interested in how you keep your memory going in the long term so that's what got him interested in this work and it's actually most of the research most of the hard work has been done by another new york scientist uh, gerard carsenti who i also went to see um but yeah eric candell has got really into it in his in his sort of later years and um yeah it's sort of understandable when you're in your 90s to say well what how do we keep our memories this is how they form how do we make them stay so um it's kind of a natural thing but I love the fact he's still so passionate about research and he just loves talking to to people about it most scientists do yeah 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 did he did he share any of his own kind of tips little things that he does himself um well he walks to and from the office every day um that's how he does it I don't think he does anything more extreme than that he, you know he says I love to walk and I thought, you know, maybe there's something in this. And he, that's how he got into the sort of looking at the research and going, ah, yes, there is something in this. Um, and so, yeah, he, he just, he's very spry. Yeah. Quite happy to walk a couple of miles to and from work every day in his dicky bow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's superb. So you've met a lot of interesting people then on this, um, on this journey. Yeah. Yeah, I met a, a yoga guru, the um, the uh, lineage holder of Ashtanga yoga, which would mean nothing to you if you've not been into Ashtanga yoga, but, but Sharath Joyce um, means a lot to you if you're into Ashtanga yoga. Um, yeah, he was very, he was very nice, very unassuming. I kind of, I kind of felt like he was, he and the scientists were saying very similar things in different ways. Although, I, yeah. I don't know how much they take on board new discoveries and practices in that sort of world, but there's a lot that makes sense through, through centuries of trial and error with working up yoga practices that actually is now being shown to be actually scientifically sound. So it was really interesting to meet him as well and get the complete opposite from, from, from the research. Yeah. Wow. That's been a, a really interesting journey. How, how do you how do you top that? <laughs> um, world domination. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. And so people are, people are always asking me, like, are you, are you working on another book? And I'm like, absolutely not, because it's such <laughs> it's so it, it's such a big, you know, it's all encompassing, takes over your life for 
several years, you have to really be passionate about it because otherwise you wouldn't do it. Um, and I haven't got anything. I'm, I'm not done with movement yet. I feel there's more to do. There's, I kind of want to, I want to do something with it in the real world rather than just sitting at this very desk tapping away. Um, there's my dog. He's saying he wants to go out for a walk. See? Yeah, he's my, uh, he's my little muse. Like, Come on, time for walks. Um, yeah, so I don't have another book project on the go, but I, I, I want to do something more with this because I think it, I just feel it's so important. And it's the information is not necessarily out there um, and people don't have this as the, you know, we don't build our lives around movement. Um, we're so far from that, that I think there's, there's so much more to do. So I'm not really sure where I go from here, but um, I guess we'll, we'll see. Yeah, we'll definitely watch this space. And, um, you know, it's it's clear. It's a clear passion of yours. Yeah, you, it's almost like you've done you've done this enormous piece of work. And, and it's always a great achievement to, you know, to get a book out there. So, yeah, it's like, well, what am I going to do with it? Yeah. So well, the next step is it comes out in the States in January. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of poised. I'm just waiting for Oprah to call and then <laughs> world domination that side of the Atlantic. I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, I'm hoping people, people like it and maybe yeah. that'll get sort of an, another, another boost. Yeah. It's a sort of a, a team of movement advocates, but yeah. right, there's got to be something, there's got to be something different, hasn't there? There's got to be something unique. Cause if you say to someone in the street, movement you need to move they'll kind of go yeah 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 I know I know yeah. and, then, and then they won't so it's kind of it's kind of getting people to take action um, yeah. and helping them to choose they choose not being told yeah. well exactly yeah we've got enough things that we should be doing in life without having someone breathing down your neck saying one more thing for me why should I why me yeah. all those things yeah. absolutely yeah yeah yeah, I don't, I don't, have, don't know what the answer is yet. I mean, I've been speaking to various people about, you know, uh, sort of TV ideas and stuff like that, whether that will come to anything possibly, we'll see. But yeah, I kind of feel like this, there needs to be some way of getting it to a mass audience. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, maybe this podcast, someone will listen. Maybe this is it. It just needs one person to pick it up. Ding. So yeah. we'll, we'll share it around. Yes, please. And um, and if, if people want to find you and the book and know what you're up to and, and all that kind of thing, where, where should they go and look? Um, so I have a website, which is carolinewilliams.net. Um, not very well updated because I tend to get distracted by putting things on Instagram, <laughs> which is um, carolinewilliams underscore science. And on Twitter, it's at Science Caroline. So that's where I will be wasting time and I should be writing. I'll be, I'll be on those sites. Yeah. <laughs> and if I'm not doing that, I'm probably out with the dog somewhere. Okay. Well, I'll put all those on the, um, on the page. Um, mm. And uh, oh, it's been brilliant. I've really enjoyed listening to what you're doing and uh, all your insights and the cool things <laughs> you're moving up with. Great. Well, thank you very much. I mean, I, I tend to, when I get a bit overexcited, I tend to talk a bit fast. It's a Bristolian thing. Um, so hopefully there's some sense came out through the excitement. <laughs> no, there was definitely, definitely. Good. So, um, yeah, we'll keep in touch. 
yes absolutely yes and um yes see you soon okay <laughs> bye